0: Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of The London Circle where today we'll be discussing the youth movement for Palestine. We'll be talking about the university scene in the UK, about the BDS movement and about the legacy of student activism in raising the flag for human rights and justice around the world. With me today, Abdurrahman Tamimi and Omar Mufid, both young Palestinian activists. Enjoy. Enjoy. So talking about Palestine, it seems that in light of the humanitarian catastrophe that uh, was and continues to be inflicted on Gaza, that the most natural thing would be to campaign for the human rights in Gaza. You'd think that it is quite uh, innate in our nature. It's quite intrinsic to us to speak out and to you know mobilize and to organize in order to reveal the real crisis what's happening and what needs to happen in order to restore humanity to uh, um, to you yeah, the kind of of, of catastrophe that it was inflicted upon upon gaza but from what i understand that the university scene which during my time and even after my time I mean, the university scene in the uk was one of the most open spaces one of the most thriving independent one of the most active i recall when i uh, first started my political awareness it, it was south africa i mean this was before your times but during that time the anti-apartheid global movement was, was in its element. And we were listening to the news from South Africa coming about the activities of the ANC and about how there, there was someone in prison called Nelson Mandela. And Britain and the British university scene, the student movement, was instrumental in actually bringing down the apartheid regime, the whole blockade, the whole sanctions against South Africa, and the protests against government policy, which by the, at the time was quite friendly with the apartheid regime in Johannesburg, but that was the scene that I I became you know involved with with politics uh, at the time of, and then on during the times of Iraq, during Bosnia, during you know there. that that particular scene was was quite active it was dynamic but it seems that now seems that now things have changed somewhat i
1: mean we you know during my university time just within the couple years that i've just passed um we relied on that fact that our universities um historically experienced those periods in which um you know the campaigns for awareness the campaigns against apartheid the campaigns against different forms of oppression uh, existed in those university halls, in those corridors, and we thought, you know, uh, a pro-Palestine campaign uh, or any political campaign today um would uh, go through the same journey and would be respected by the university because we 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 think universities are, you know, they're a, they're a center for thought and freedom of thought and the exchange of thought, etc. And I think we started to see signs that things were changing, but we didn't. I don't think I personally expected what it. what time was that? Two thousand. I think between 2019 and 2021, those two years, that's when we started seeing a lot of challenges. There were challenges before, definitely, but it became a bit more blatant. Um, I can give some examples. Uh, During the 2018 uh, Great Return March in Gaza, we went out to the university square and we posted names of every single civilian killed. And we had some societies at the university who complained about us we were the, the city university friends of Palestine. So they complained about us and they accused us of glorifying terrorism. And, you know, I think any wise or sane academic or staff in the university would have just looked at the list and did a fact check and, and say, you know, these uh, accusations are ridiculous. But instead they called us in for a for a disciplinary meeting. And it it went on from there, and I think that was a first sign that things were no longer the way they they are, and yeah, and I think the the, the grip was just tightening and tightening. I mean, and we sat down with the uh, the president of the university, and he mentioned that in his time, at his generation, they were involved in um in different. anti-apartheid uh, campaigns, and that they were there, they were protesting, they were causing the noise. So we were sitting there, and we were like, "This is quite ironic, given that you are now the one restricting us." and deciding the terms on how we um, express ourselves. So it just, it
0: brings back those memories. Why? I mean, the question is, wouldn't it be in everyone's best interest, the, particularly the young scene, the youth scene, the, uh, the student scene yeah. is allowed to thrive, is allowed to be dynamic, is allowed to engage in intellectual, political, ideological debate, is it not? I mean, what, what's happening? Why is that?
2: Elan Pape is always talking about this fact, who's uh, an Israeli historian, who's anti-Israeli apartheid. He always say that we in this community, we are policed by the universities, by the police, by the government, by the companies, by the NHS, by everyone. So he said, we've been policed. So he said, our, our rule, we live here in this country we need to speak about the fundamental issues which the Palestinians face. For example, we can start talking about the Balfour Declaration, how Britain's rule in building this occupation, then about the Nakba, then about the continuous. And as we can see, just uh, last April, Israel and the UK have signed something called Israel-UK Roadmap, which is a very unique. It has not been done before. And in within this roadmap, they have stated that British Parliament and British sorry and Israeli Parliament will be collaborating together UK universities and UK's in Israel will be collaborating together so the the British government is putting monies to the British Parliament to force them to work with the Israeli Parliament and they don't do with any other parliament with any other universities and if you see this there is something called UK universities which have more than 160 universities, I have written to them, say, do you know that the universities you are supporting in Israel are built in my grandmother land, in the Israeli settlements and in other areas? And they said, you know, we are really sorry. And after the deadline, They changed their um, criteria, saying they did not ban working with universities which have campuses in the settlements, because all, I can say this, all Israeli universities have campuses and places in the Israeli illegal settlement. So they did not say this, because then they will not have any university within this criteria. They said, we allow universities in Israel to work with the Palestinians, within these funded projects after the deadline has passed. What I'm trying to say is they don't care about the facts. They don't uh, care about supporting the, the Israeli occupation and apartheid. And when you complain to them, they send you something that doesn't make any sense. So after the deadline has passed, they say, we allow Israeli universities to work with Palestinian universities using this fund, which doesn't make any sense because... Uh, it's it's impossible.
0: What, I mean, these moves, these shifts, these changes are they what are they politically driven? Are they enforced upon university? I mean, is it that universities don't really have a choice? Think, is is it that that it'll, for instance, impact its recruitment drive? I, I think, mean, what what
1: is it? You know, we we just we I think this is this is a topic that's started to be discussed a bit more lately. But actually, it goes back to maybe two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten and it starts with the prevent strategy um the the the, the british government introduced um uh l- let's call it an counter extremism counter-terrorism strategy to try and root out any form of extremism or any form or, or any roots to extremism in the education uh sector as well as the the professional sector and i don't think we saw the implementations until a later stage in the decade so it was probably i think i think maybe with with the flare-ups in syria and different other events i think they've pushed people and you start to see more happening in the uk um, it's because of the prevent strategy that things like the disciplinary meeting that happened at, your, at my university happened it's also why for example if we were to invite yourself or other academics uh to our universities we'd have to do uh let's say a slightly rigorous process to get you approved as a speaker because they're going to go and do a background check and see well where do where do they stand when it comes to the prevent strategy and can they be uh, of somewhat an extremist or in their ideology an extremist Uh, and that used to hinder us in everything we do when we want to do an event we couldn't do it spontaneously even if the situation was an emergency if there was an emergency and we wanted to raise awareness about something and we wanted a good speaker. It would take ages it would take around at least four weeks for a speaker approval and now it takes probably longer um in schools schools now people can't i think i think in because of the recent events in gaza um a lot of a lot of teachers have been warning students about doing anything or, or speaking out within the school system we didn't have that when we were in, in school i mean i i i finished school in 2015 i don't remember any issue with being vocal um and it just keeps going on. I I don't I don't think it never was there. It was always there. Yeah. It just took a change in the circumstances and in the geopolitical scene to actually get the face, the real face, to show. Um, you know, at, at the time, I think in the, like we we this kind of links to other things. This links to the fact that you know the government had a very friendly or less slightly friendly approach with. The so-called Islamists yeah. um, and and those who attributed to the Muslim Brotherhood, but now it's a, a completely shut case. Um, did they actually change? I think they were just dealing with the fact that there was a reality that they had to deal with, the fact that Mohammed Morsi was in was in power in Egypt, changed things for this government, and as a, as a result, their attitude changed. But now, uh, because the reality is completely different they're able to be more comfortable with their real face. And it's an establishment at the
0: end of the day. Would I be correct uh, in saying that despite these restrictions, despite these sort of clampdowns on on various events, and uh, I I mean, I'm going to come to BDS, for instance, and trying to talk about BDS and campaign for BDS, but um, am I right in saying that despite that, that the numbers of those who are sympathetic to the Palestinians Uh, that are pro-Palestinian, that are willing to, you know, work or join uh, a Palestinian group or a pro-Palestinian group are on the rise.
2: Of course, yeah. I mean, we have seen just last week, um, we have seen the, the British Home Secretary talking about raising a Palestinian flag could be a crime. And then a few days later, we have seen hundred more than hundred and fifty thousand people, some people say two hundred and fifty thousand people raising the Palestinian flag in Central the London. British uh, capital in in London. And we have seen the BBC reporting that um, some de- de- demonstrations or protests in London has been pr- like you know promoting some Palestinian political parties or resistant party, then they apologize. Yes, so answering your question, yes. although these restrictions, these threats, these sanctions to the pro-Palestinian, like, you know, activists, we have seen a very huge number of people speaking out loudly. And just, uh, I have seen a petition by more than 7,500 NHS workers. They were calling the NHS and the Department of Health to be more clear about its position because when the, the war started, they standed with Israel and they did not care about the 1,000 children, uh, Palestinian who killed in, in Palestine, in Gaza. So what I'm trying to say is now we have seen a huge number of people who are not following the mainstream media. So people do not take their information from the mainstream media. I don't want to mention names, but we all know the names. People don't trust these uh, mainstream media. People are taking their information from the people in Palestine, from the accurate um, sources which they can find in the social media or in in other places. So now what 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 what's happening now? The government, the NHS, Or like, you know, as as Elan said, policing the pro palestinians we can see this happening. And we can talk later about the anti-BDS bill. We can speak about the BDS movement. We can speak about...
0: Let's talk about the BDS movement. I mean, again, the BDS movement uh, was something that was uh, introduced during the South African uh, struggle and it, it proved extremely inf- effective and uh, you know quite impactful on, on the whole scene and Directly, not only on the British scene in terms of of mobilising the British public against the apartheid regime, but also it's actually brought down, it's helped and assisted in bringing down the South Africa regime um, directly. And many of those who wrote their memoirs of the politicians of, of the old regime, as well as the new politicians that came after the ANC uh, held power, um, they wrote in their books, they wrote that the British university scene and the BDS around the world was something that was instrumental in bringing down uh, apartheid. So you would think that something like this was noble. It was, you know, to fight for justice because it's an economic means of struggle. And it's It's not military, it's not not armed, it's non-violent. It's, uh, you know, when we talk about peaceful protests, peaceful struggle, the BDS should be the epitome of that. So why is it all of a sudden, why is it demonized in yeah, the case if, of if, Palestine?
2: Yeah, I think I have um, read the philosophies of BDS. I have seen um, their, their documents, and I think, as you mentioned, it's one of the most unique um, like you know movements because it was fund, uh, founded by the um, majority of the Palestinian. As you mentioned, it wasn't a creative idea. It was copying what people in other struggles have done to have a peaceful, nonviolent, collective way of talking about the uh, occupation. However, what we have seen, the attack on the BDS movement shows that it's not about the Palestinian, how the Palestinian try to stop the occupation. It's about without any um, kind of uh, ethics to support the Israeli occupation. And let me give you three examples here. So in 2016, a group of councillors at Lister Council, they have written a motion to the AGM, the council AGM. They say this council want to stop um, using um, Israeli settlements goods, just as simple as this then the government have forced them to revoke this uh, bill. So the council have voted in favor of this uh, bill to stop buying Israeli settlement goods. Then the government have stopped this. Then uh, PSC and other organizations, PSC being Palestine Solidarity yeah, Campaign. Th- which yeah. is the biggest pro-Palestine advocacy um, yeah, organization for Palestine. Palestine Solidarity Movement have. Um, you they went to the court, they have appealed about the, the government decision, then the court have found the government is not true in stopping the council boycotting illegal Israeli settlement. So it
0: found against the government.
2: Yeah. Then the government have put an appeal, then the high court found that... The government is guilty. And you will be surprised. The government have paid tens of thousands of pounds to the pro-Palestine PSC. So PSC is partially funded now by by the British government because the the government doesn't follow its own constitution. Now, what we have seen, Michael Gove and the um, right-wing British government right now, they are trying to change the UK constitution. We know Britain doesn't have constitution to change the UK laws To allow the government to ban anyone in any time to boycott Israel, so the government can allow any uh, public bodies or uh, like uh, councils, etc., councils, universities, hospitals, art councils, cinemas, any body which is funded by public fund cannot boycott, uh, like you know, certain things. So it was totally illegal, the, the bill, which the UK is doing right now, and it was criticized by all the UK parties except the Conservative Party. The Labour Party did not say anything, which is unacceptable. Uh, but again, about the anti-BDS bill, the bill has is meant just to target the activists and the bodies which target the Israeli uh, occupation. And they said within the bill, no government in history can allow any boycott to the illegal israeli occupation it's incredible Which is- i mean i've
0: i've i've met people whom um, applied for employment in companies whether private or, or public and um, they within the terms is the fact that they have never been or they would never will partake in any bds campaign i mean it's it's uh it's quite frightening i mean especially that i'm presuming that the, uh, the 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 palestinian campaigns on on university campuses for instance or amongst the youth movements i'm pretty sure that bds is quite prominent yeah i mean we uh we we, we i
1: think we we took part in having stores for bds almost every week in the term time um we uh during the AGM which is the annual general meeting that the student union would hold and the university would hold uh we'd gather students and we'd get them to vote to get the student union to adopt a a pro-BDS bill um and in in that there were their own debates with um those who are Zionists on campus etc were trying to fight the bill um but you know it was a very normal thing yeah some people didn't like it but that's the way things work not everybody's going to like something and the, the that's the essence of the debate. exactly and that's the, how a debate happens exactly and the freedom of speech is to be able to exchange those opinions and those thoughts uh mm-hmm. so yeah we, we it was a very normal thing talking about bds i mean we used to go out on even in protests and we'd say how do you suppose justice and people would say bds because that's that's pretty much the way we see it you know um, peaceful democratic legal discourse that allows us to put those who are responsible for the theft the murder and the and the illegal occupation
0: under the eyes of the law how did you respond to the uh, claim that by uh, forwarding or promoting BDS you're actually hurting palestinian workers um on you know settlement in settlement farms or i mean that's the i think i think that's <laughs> the um that's probably one of the most repeated arguments that we used
1: to get um and the response is is that actually whoever you're claiming so for example whoever you're claiming is part of this um either aren't affected number one so a lot of the time they have a broad claim that palestinians are affected by it they're not affected um number two bds is a targeted campaign it, it's targeted boycott meaning it targets specific companies that present the highest contribution to illegal occupation so i'll give you an example so a lot of people for example have a list to boycott people, things so some people boycott coca-cola some some people boycott mcdonald's um, but actually none of them are on the bds list whereas hp is on the bds list um, i think caterpillar soda stream soda stream is a very big one i don't know if there's any changes to that yeah, and but as well. puma as well these are very big contributors to the occupation so bds thought about it in a strategic way. If you boycott everything under the sun,
0: it'll be almost impossible. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And we live in a globalized world and we live in a, in the Western world or in a capitalist world where these businesses thrive. And to an extent, we might we might even rely on it for so many different products. But if you target specific companies that have alternatives, not everyone has to buy HP laptops.
2: Yeah, but if, if, if you allow me to, to comment on this as well, it's really hurting and funny in the same time. So we are talking about modern slavery. So Israel has killed these people, stolen their land, built settlements, and say, yes, guys, we own this manufacture. We are going to sell um, the soda or whatever product we are selling now. You will be working as labor without any rights, without any, um, anything. You are coming here, you will be sleeping in the street, And by saying we are boycotting this manufacturer, we we are affecting the original um, owners of the land of this manufacturer. So definitely I would uh, suggest like, you know, boycotting all the settlement goods in the UK and everywhere. And there is something else which is uh, not everyone knows. But within the Israeli law, they have put in every, you know, the Palestinian land. Like you know, with whatever, with, with with if it is in West Bank, like you know, Hejaz and um in in West Bank anywhere, they call it as Israel, and they force universities, manufacturers, and all like you know big chains to have branches everywhere. So the the Israeli government is forcing every. So if you have, a, for example, a food um, restaurant chain, you have to open within the Israeli settlement. So what i'm i'm saying that every israeli company is complicit in the israeli government policies stealing the palestinian land and with this what i described as the modern slavery to the palestinian workers how effective do you do you think
0: is i mean the mainstream media because people like myself i mean we're used to you know Watching the BBC or Sky or Channel Four News or CNN or Reuters, for instance. But I take it—I mean, I, I take it from my my sons, for instance. They they have a different um, media stream from which they they take their information, their their knowledge of what's going on. I mean, how is the media, See, how is the interaction with the media and the kind of news that emerged, particularly from Palestine, and how does that feed into the whole understanding of what's happening, the appreciation of events that are unfolding in Palestine and the struggle for, for freedom and the like? And how is that then impacting and affecting young people? I mean, I think there's, there's a couple reasons
1: for why maybe there's a lack of engagement uh, between young people and these mainstream outlets, um, I think over over a period of time, you know, initially, I I I grew up watching these outlets, these mainstream outlets. They were like, you know, the the you know like a, a, the big thing, the big companies that present you the news and pre- present you all the stories from the world, the truth, and so on. Um, but as social media grew and as social media advanced and evolved, um, you were able to now get access to the source. Without this media without this intermediary so the BBC and other outlets will tend to bring that source and then spin it the way they want spin it to the foreign policy of the government they represent especially if they're the flagship let's say uh, media outlet um, it's a bit less with the private ones but generally speaking you'd see that there's a spin and f- you know where I think we're less patient as an age group, we, we 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 want the truth as you know, in, in the way that it is, in the graphic way that it is, no matter what. And therefore we, intel- we we tend to rely on Twitter or Telegram, group chats, or um even now people start posting things on TikTok, but TikTok and Instagram are a bit more controlled than 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 Twitter. Um but we've seen the imbalance and this these current events that are happening and the on the Israeli onslaught on Gaza um it wasn't the first time this has happened where um, big outlets have spun the narrative to suit to suit the the oppressor the aggressor and to kind of overlook the victim or over, overlook the victims of this onslaught and so i think right now no one i mean i can say for myself as well i don't wait for the bbc to tell me what happened i don't need that because i know i can't i can't unfortunately trust that source mm. Um, we're very, we're, 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 careful. We watch what the BBC says, but we make sure to complain. We make sure to use the outlets of sending letters of complaint. Um, uh, we, we look at other sources to cross-reference, but if we were to rely completely on, you know, British media outlets as a, a source of truth, then we'd
0: be, uh, we'd probably not be campaigning or on the streets protesting. How do non-Arabs, uh, generally, uh, how do they... How do they respond to what they're hearing about? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to presume here that the majority of people, they're not Zionists. They're not driven by you know some sort of affinity or identity, loyalty or the such to, to Israel or to Palestine in that matter. They're, they're mere observers, and they make their minds up regarding who's right and who's wrong. How do you, how do you see the engagement of, um, of the youth? with the narrative uh, regarding Palestine? Yeah,
2: you will be surprised that lots of nation by heart, they are with Palestine. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about, for example, South African people, like I I receive lots of calls and like I have lots of friends here who are white or black South African and who stand with Palestine, because they understand what it means by uh, living under an apartheid government. And you will be surprised Mm -hmm. that people from Sri Lanka People like you know some people are Sikh who have suffered from the some like Hindu groups who were supported by Israel. We we are supported by lots of uh, like Indian people who suffered by the support of Israel to some some uh things. But most importantly, the ordinary people who do not have these kind of like in the back of their head, like you know, like kind of suffering because of Israel. The normal, ordinary people, they can see how uh, the Palestinians are being uh, treated in in the media, how the Palestinian voice has been silenced, how the Palestinian people have been treated. When we talk about like, you know, in the UK here, if you have like, you know, 10, like, you know, old people, you will find three of them have served in Palestine, either in the medical or in the army. So people know the Palestine, they visit palestine and people are telling me how even the british churches are not mentioning that jesus was born in bethlehem in palestine they they sometimes refer to it as the holy land and and other so i mean religious people are supporting palestine people who have no um, like you know other like you know things which impact their opinion support palestine but in the same time we have seen lots of people who have their ideas that these uh, Israelis is, is the democracy, the white people who live in within these brown people, and there's, there there are some people who feels like you know that the Israelis are like similar to the British, that like maybe because uh, they both are colonial, with full respect to the British people. But I mean, we all know, like you know, um, like you know, I'm, I'm Irish Palestinian. Ireland has been under the the british colonial Occupa- and occupation, occupation. <laughs> and 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 do you know that Ireland was the first country to come under the British colonial uh, regime seven, eight hundred years ago? So Ireland was so I mean, regarding the the colonial history and the this i mean this has has some impact, like you know, some people say yes. Our British army has never been defeated, and we feel like you know we we need to stand with Israel as it is our only allies there. And like you know, we 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 have seen like you know in the previous days the the British uh, like foreign minister, the British uh, prime minister visiting Israel, and that's something Palestinian like you know feel that's hurt them because to stand with the the with the occupation. And and one last thing. Uh, people do not see um, the media, as you mentioned, the media as the trusted uh, place, because, for example, Israel has been warning the hospitals to be bombed in the last few days. No one has mentioned this, The the health World Health Organization have written lots of statements, UNICEF, UNRWA, no one have looked at this. Then now when we see an Israel bombed, al-ahli which is the 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 angelo church hospital in palestine in gaza israel warned the hospital like warned the people in the uk the the church people that they will bomb the hospital and if you open the mainstream media or the news outlet the day after that happened no one has mentioned israel have done this so they all take the israeli um, narrative Narrative. and when it comes for example when biden was talking untruthly about the 40 babies and the other then he withdrawn this all the mainstream media have covered this as this is a truth what i'm trying to say palestinians have mentioned that israel have won the hospital have won the hospital to evacuate bombed the hospital no news outlet has said this but when the Israelis without any evidence saying Palestinians have killed 40 babies and all the mainstream media. So this make people do not trust the yeah. mainstream media. And
0: I mean, before I, because we, we do need to talk about the Palestinian scene and what's happening there. And yeah. uh, But I'd like to just touch on uh, something which is now a known fact. Um, today, when, uh, when any young person applies for employment, the background history, their social media history, their postings of, I don't know, since they were 14 years old, are all scoured through and they're all checked. And often we've seen how people are taken to task over a tweet or a Facebook post or some sort of Insta post that um, they probably shared or retweeted or whatever, 8, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, we had the incident of the uh, elected NUS president, for instance, Shema Dalali, who uh, was hounded out of her position as a result of a tweet, a tweet that she shared. It wasn't her tweet. When she was 17 years old, 10 years ago. And uh, the same goes for people who applied for employment, but they were rejected on the basis that they had in their background, that they had supported, um, you know, a Palestinian campaign, for instance. And this is intimidating, I have to say. I mean, if I was um, a young person looking forward to pursuing my career, to working in my field of interest and the such, it, it, the the fact that this could actually cost me my job is something which isn't, uh, it's, an, it's not an easy thing, is it? Yeah,
1: we, we, we live in a world that, or we live in a side of the world that boasts... It's freedom and, uh, you know, uh, this world that lives with integrity and, you know, offers these freedoms and and the flexibilities. But actually, we live in a world of hypocrisy Mm -hmm. um, because while there might be someone young who posts something in favor of an element in Palestine or a group in Palestine or something that may be in somewhat way controversial, no one will say something to the young British a uh, person that would go to Israel, serving the IDF, post pictures on social media proudly, on Twitter, get involved in bodies like the NUS. No one will say anything to that. Bearing in mind, I think I wanted to link this to something that you mentioned about the his- history uh, and the colonial history of of, of 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 the you know of Britain. Um, the founders of the Israeli state were terrorists in yeah. Britain's eyes. Yeah. David Ben Gurion was involved in the several bombings that occurred and the King David yep, hotel, hotel bombing was one of the most uh, uh devastating hits against Which the British, Army. British British soldiers. officials yeah, yeah, yeah British yeah, officials absolutely. British soldiers and no one's apologized for that from the israeli side and the idf continues to be a a force that builds itself and and is proud of its past uh, of its criminal and terrorist past and its terrorist present um yet those who get involved don't get um scolded they don't get hounded they're allowed to get the best jobs They're allowed to get involved in every single avenue of political um political work or the political scene and no one says anything so we live in a world of hypocrisy and i think while we shouldn't be afraid i think the problem we have and i think i see this in our immediate uh community is there's fear and there's intimidation people take a step back they're like okay you know what i'm not going to do public speaking because why should i risk this why should i risk that Um, I shouldn't get involved in these campaigns. I should refrain from getting involved in anything at all because why should I risk my job or why should I risk this? I think it's because of that fear and that anxiety. We're seeing less people getting involved, especially in the Muslim community. And that reinforces the, the status quo that we're seeing right now. And I think the only way we can change that is by being a bit braver. I think I mentioned on LinkedIn, Deloitte, one of the big four, posted a very, very shockingly supportive post uh, a, a very supportive of Israel um, because of uh, what happened. Um, when was it? On the seventh of November, yeah, of October. Seventh of, 7th of October, and um, it was a complete disregard of all the, um, bom- the the bombing and the occupation that the Palestinians were facing. And people within Deloitte actually went on LinkedIn and started replying to that very post. And I think we saw some of the leaders of the the, the Deloitte Muslim network. Um, who have quite significant positions within the company, re- uh, um, quoting the the post and saying that this does not represent us, and really you know, let's say clapping back at this post, and I think that kind of bravery is is is, is what we need to see more. Um, because people shouldn't be g- getting away with overlooking the plight of of those who are victims of oppression and occupation.
0: And it shouldn't be normalized. But the, I know, mean, you talk about hypocrisy, and hypocrisy is quite a, um, it's a powerful word, but it's extremely apt and appropriate in this particular context. Especially, I mean, you mentioned the fact that uh, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of young Brits, men and women, traveling every year to Israel to serve either in a kaputz kaput or um, in the IDF or to volunteer for for, for whatever work, um, and that is regarded as a plus on their CVs. You know they they highlight this, they they bring this up, they they put symbols in bold so that it's seen, and uh, it's regarded as as a very important stepping stone in the lives of those young people. Yet, you wouldn't ever imagine someone who hails, I don't know, from Argentina, for instance, or from Korea, uh, putting on their CV that, uh, well, we spent a year or six months serving in the South uh, South Korean army or Argenti- Argentinian army, or that we took part in any kind of military escapades by a foreign country. I mean, that would be seen definitely as outrageous. problematic. Yeah, I mean, we we saw... Probably even treacherous. Yeah, yeah, of course. When
1: the call-up started to happen from the IDF, um a a young lady posted i think yeah she's she's from from the uk she posted a video where she's just arrived in the airport i think and she's saying yeah my friends just got killed and uh, i'm gonna go and uh, partake in the idf and so on and so on and so on and they they act like this is very normal they're very proud of it but i think what they don't realize is that later on the 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 attitudes will change the fact of the matter is is that the, this is a force that's committed several war crimes yeah, over absolutely. a huge, a, a, you know, a, a huge span of time. Continuous. And continuous. it's continuous. And the, the, you know, the people in power may overlook it now. But when the ICJP, when the ICJP start issuing warnings and people start taking these things seriously, they will have you, to... You
2: mean warning of taking legal action? Yeah, legal that.
1: action, to, you know, in, in support of such war crimes. Those very same people that are young and naive and are going and getting involved will realize what a mistake it will be it's just a matter of time because at the end of the day the wave of justice it it, it carries on and it and it takes everyone with it regardless of who they are and people don't realize and they don't learn from from history um, i think the palestinian struggle has obviously prolonged it's become quite a long uh, um, battle um, but like every other journey in history history repeats itself you know, absolutely. So we yeah. just need to. People need to also realize that
2: they need to stand on the right side. Yeah, and uh, C- can on, we? Uh, sorry yeah. for interrupting. Can we talk about the situation? Of course, I have of course. Family this, there?
0: this was going to be my yeah. next question because you have family there, and um, you know directly. You have direct contact. I I still hope that you do uh, with uh, your family, relatives, and friends, in uh, in Gaza. And the situation is dire, there's no no doubt. But uh, give us a little bit more yeah. detail.
2: So just on the 22nd of September, 2023, a month ago, Netanyahu was in the United Nations headquarters. He raised a Palestine fl- uh, map, map. Yeah. with only Israel on it. And he said, this is the new Middle East. So Netanyahu was checking. He was checking the world how the world will be reacting to erasing Gaza, West Bank, Jerusalem, or the Palestinian. And the world was clapping to him. So what the Gazan and the Palestinians are seeing now, it's a plan. So the Palestinian are seeing a plan, which, by the way, it's not a new plan. In 1956, I guess, the Israelis and the um, part of, like, you know, the Palestinian neighbors were planning to um, move the Palestinian in Gaza to Sinai in Egypt. So that was 75 or 70 years ago. So it's it's ongoing. So what Netanyahu did last month, what the previous Israeli government have done, it's a continuous plan. What Trump was planning to do, it's all ongoing. So what we are seeing now, this is why I feel the world is silent because they know this, they have read this, they have accepted this. So the western countries, no one has mentioned anything about keeping Gaza's in Gaza. No one has mentioned the right of retain because most of the Gazan, 80% of them are refugees, are from, you know, know, villages, cities are erased. So my grandmother is from a city called Java. Now it's Tel Aviv. Yeah, so no one has mentioned my grandmother's suffering for the last 75 years. And when my grandmother was um, like, you know, like, you know, kicked out of her village, they told her the same what they are saying now. You will be leaving for two days we will clean the area, and you will come back. We will come back seventy five years. my grandmother died ten years ago seventy five years ago, no one has returned. so what's this is the political side about the humanitarian. My brother is the only plastic surgeon in Gaza who worked in the St Thomas Hospital. He was working here. he was getting a very high salary. He decided to move last January to Gaza to build the first plastic and reconstruction surgery department in the main hospital in Gaza in Ashifa. shifa So he is a hero. He went there, he was doing the um, operation here with, do you know how many uh, plastic surgeon consultants in St. Thomas? Like maybe 50, 70 consultants every day inside the hospital. He went there, he's the only consultant there. He have uh, received support from Dr. Um, Abu Sitta Ghassan Ghassan Sitta, who's a plastic surgeon going to Gaza every couple of Mm -hmm. months. But what I'm saying, in the UK, he was having 50, 70 plastic surgeon consultants in the same hospital. There he have people coming every couple of months. He decided to start this move because, you know, with these Israeli um, airstrikes and other, lots of people lose their, like, you know, legs or head. So the, 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 burns reconstruc- and, burns, the reconstruction yeah. is very important for them. And my brother, I was crying when he was calling me. He said, Omar, we, the surgeons, have to clean the medical tools for the operation, because the hospital has no electricity. They stopped uh, what they call it, like to protect from bacteria, like. Of course. They have to sterilize. They put it in in, in hot places. And sterilize. Yeah. Yeah, so they stopped doing this, and they clean it now. And you can imagine for, an 18 hours or um, 16 hours operation for reconstruction to use unclean uh, materials for operation, 100% the the, the 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 body will be infected and the operation will be, but they, they use their best, they use sometimes the fire, they use stuff to like, you know, to clean. Uh, this is about the, the situation, about like, I lost my cousin who's 75 years old. She was a high court judge. She's a uh, retired. She's a female high court judge. She, like to be a judge, uh, she have more than 50 years experience as a lawyer and a judge, a judge, as a judge. Her husband, his name is uh, Fehmi Najjar, was a judge as well. He was like, uh, like around 75 years old. Their son, Muhammad, was a lawyer. He filed a, a complaint, not a complaint, a legal case on the on the International Criminal Court about the Israeli uh, siege in Gaza. He filed that in June 2023. His other brother was um, an engineer. So the whole family, so Muhammad has six, um, like you know, sons and daughters, and Faris have another four. So 10 plus two plus two, 14 people we lost. Yesterday as well, I lost my uh, my mother's sister, my aunt's uh, daughter. She was with her in-laws, so she, she lost her, like you know, Hiba was, was killed, her three children, her husband her husband's brothers their 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 like you know fathers, and every family has been so Israel is now doing ethnic cleansing. no one has mentioned these names so now the problem my mom was saying your aunt is just want to see because my my aunt is in in Rafah, which is in South Gaza, and they are in different areas. she said she doesn't want to see her daughter, but she wants to know that her daughter were burned and it, like you know have her body have been founded. And because there is no equipment, no fuel, now the Palestinian, uh, like, you know, with the bulldozers, they don't, so if they know there are bodies, killed bodies there, they don't remove it. They say, let's keep the petrol we have for the people who are still alive under the demolished houses. So the situation, and last thing, like I was speaking with them, they said yesterday we slept without having food. No, I'm, I'm saying they have no food at all. No electricity, no water, no food and like you know you can imagine like you know with people with like you know diseases or like you know some people with diabetes people with cancer they need the treatment it's 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 and therefore
0: really- the, the constant claim by whether it be politicians or whether it be by media anchors whether knowingly or otherwise but um the kind of whatever they talk about and then they uh, they add within the realms of international law. Um, the, the, all of this, the, the starving people, of cutting off electricity from schools and from you know places where pe- vulnerable people are being treated, um, which is an overt war crime, but they make sure to add within international law. It's absolutely ridiculous. As uh, if that wipes away everything that's happened. Absolutely. And how do you wipe out the trauma absolutely. and the loss that Amal Mofeed you know his family had so how? I mean, obviously there are the Palestinians who have family and, and such, and you you deal with with um, you know a youthful community who travel, who have relatives, who um, know people, who um, I mean, what are the what is the the impact of what's happening in Palestine generally in Gaza specifically on the students and youth population here in in the uk um i mean it's made people very angry it's uh
1: stirred up people's emotions it's got them really riled up um, people are waiting for any opportunity to go out on the streets they know that that's really the least, but also at this current climate, maybe the most that they can do. Um, we've seen actually more flare-ups at universities, um, incidents where students are now being brought into disciplinaries because of their anger. They've gone out and they've voc- they've been vocal, um, and people have made complaints about certain things that they might have said. I think the 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 youth and the student community are responsive, but I think it's all in a reactionary manner. I think what what tends to happen is when events like this happen, when calamities like these strike and there's a huge, you know, uh, amount of killing and, and so on, people's senses get activated. The issue is is when things quiet down and things get calmer, people just tend to turn back into some sort of hive. And that's what we're trying to work on in the community is to know you have to be as engaged throughout. There's ways to do that. And that's why, for example, the PSC are very, very, very active. And they're quite proactive in the way they do things. When they aren't organizing protests, they're taking people to court or they're campaigning or they're doing something. And we need to stop being reactive and we need to carry on being proactive. Um, And I think if we are able to use this momentum um, for the sake of doing that, then we're doing something right. So we're keen on training people I think we're educating ed- exactly educating you know I think while we need to get people up to date on why this is happening right now we need to go back in history as well because without that there's no foundation mm-hmm. so it's educating people about the origin of this struggle it's not a conflict
0: it's I mean a you talk about history I mean this is one of the issues that we constantly you know do battle with with particularly with the media and politicians is that every single time something happens, it's assumed that this is the beginning of From the beginning
2: when Israeli man has killed, this how, but regarding the history, yesterday I was looking at the kind of the uh, neutral uh, channel four. So they were putting Palestine, Israel, uh, simplify. They said um, after the um, British, sorry, the Ottoman Empire has been collapsed in Palestine, Britain have ruled Palestine. Britain uh, um, promised to create something called the State of Palestine, so it was never there. So this is channel four saying. So so Britain has um, promised to create something called the State of Palestine, which was never uh, created. And promised to create something called the State of Israel, which is now created. So the Palestinians are uh, waiting for their first baby to be born, which is the State of Palestine. This is they, they are trying to be with the Palestinian, and they they spread the lies through a two-state uh, narrative. Not two states. Palestine was there all the time. With like you know, my grandfather studied in 1935 in the Jerusalem um like teacher uh, Academy which was in Palestine before the, the like you know from the before everyone comes to Palestine it was the Palestinian with Khalil sikakini and all the Palestinian scholars but, but I mean channel 4 was saying that Palestine was a baby that was about to be created by Britain in 1948 but Britain did not do it. but like this is the, the Israeli it's, it's, it's narrative that it's, it's Palestine was never there. You
0: know, the, the interview, I remember this interview because I've watched it so many times. I watched it the first time when I was about probably 14 or 15 years old when Golda Meir, the first prime minister of Israel, when she said, she said that she was Palestinian. She was a Palestinian. She said, I carried a, a Palestinian passport from 1921 all the way until 1948 for 27 years she was a palestinian and people that are born in
1: palestine um will see even on their british licenses or their passports um the fact of the matter is and this is why we go back to the idea of education the importance of education evidence and facts yeah. history is on the side of the palestinians and and those who are in the struggle but the problem is is with a lack of education a lack of you know reinforcing that kind of information you you won't be able to see that or promote that. But I think what we're starting to see as well is over time, people are becoming more educated. Mm-hmm. Therefore, when people are being interviewed by the same mainstream media that are, let's say, propagandists for Israel, unfortunately, the responses aren't what these media outlets are expecting. Mm-hmm. These,
0: these people are more educated. And, and they are becoming more intelligent, more yeah. shrewd. Yeah, I mean, people are coming up with incredible you know incredibly genuine answers in a way that is taking people aback that is taking them by surprise 100% so it's you know it's uh, it's something that um, will continue to dominate um and it will be something that uh, i'm sure you too especially because of your backgrounds because of where you hail from but, all, but also i i sense that uh, the issue of palestine is something that resonates far and wide that many many students from college to university to you know to people who work young people yeah, the, the issue of palestine is, is something which is ca- capturing people's imagination they see through the, the, the lies and the smoke screens. You mentioned the fact that they're finding alternative news sources and news streams to, uh, yeah. to follow news from. And also, you know, we live in a world where social media is dominant. People are communicating with their peers from inside palestine yeah well, yeah exactly and they're getting the images and they're getting the sounds and they're getting you know all the information directly from who is actually there
1: i think i think the uh, the israeli government and the idf have thought that by you know cutting off these necessities they'd be able to you know remove or or disconnect or sever gaza from the world but actually they're failing because while the for example if we talk about the um, the, the hospital bombing yesterday, the IDF tried to promote a certain narrative that it wasn't them. Um, they actually failed because initially they, 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 they posted admitting- They warned the hospital. Yeah, they admitted that they warned the hospital. And then afterwards they removed that tweet and then started to say that it wasn't them. Uh, but actually there were videos from in Gaza showing that there was a bomb, and you can hear the whistle of the bomb while it was landing. And then military experts came out and used that video to debunk Israel's claim. So the idea that you can cut off the communication, it's, it's, it's no longer something you can do. Um, we're not relying on Morse codes or signals now. We we, we we are able to get information from the ground, whether the aggressor or the oppressor likes it or
0: not. Allah izziikum al shukran